Welcome to Set for Life with Pastor Ray Jensen. You can find us at setforliferadio.com. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So let's listen from God's Word, verse by verse, on how we can prepare for the coming of the Lord and Messiah Jesus, who died on the cross, so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life if you give your heart and believe what He's done for you. You'll be set for life with the treasure stored up in heaven when you're through. You'll be set for Okay, back before I was doing full-time ministry, I did. Uh, I was working on dispatch computers. So sometimes I would be in Austin or Dallas or New Mexico. Who, who knows where I was going? Well, I had to drive all the way to Dallas one time. There was a, a dispatch computer that was down. And so this girl was having to do all of the dispatching work for her office by telephones, multiple telephones, and post-it notes. She was busy. She was backed up because the computer wasn't working. All she's got to do is sit there and just click stuff, and it's easy. But with the computer off, it was getting out of hand real quick. And so she was taking notes. She was going 10 kinds of crazy. And by the time I drove all the way up to Dallas, she was losing her mind. She was going nuts. And I knew what the problem was before I got there. I took an extra computer with me. It was already pre-ready to go. All I had to do was get into her desk, pull the old computer out, put the new computer on and turn it on and her whole world would get totally better. Problem is she had to get out of her desk for me to get in there. She was blocking the way in. So when I got there, she was just frazzled and I come in and she's mad and she's angry. She's writing stuff. Phones are going off the wall. I said, I have your answer. I know it's the computer. Let me in there. She goes, I can't. It's too busy. Can't you see all that's going on? I've had all this stuff going. I said, I know, but I have your answer. Give me two minutes and it'll all be fine. She was, I can't. And she was flipping out and she kept pushing and pushing and doing more and more and more phones going off. And she was just freaking out. And I said, I remember leaning over. I said, if you will just get out of my way, I have the answer to put down in front of you. I've got it. And guess what, guys? She wouldn't let me do it. So I sat down in a chair, and I just watched her for a little while. I just sat there and watched her go nuts. I wanted her to know I was there, but I wanted her to finally get to her breaking point to where she would let me in. And it took a while. So I sat there and watched her a little longer. We're getting on to 40, 45 minutes, and she's going nuts. She now has twice as much call volume coming in, and she is losing her ever-loving mind. And I just sat there and I just watched her. I was right there. She did not look at me. She did not call out to me. She did not say, you with the answer, please come help and take over. She never did. I just sat there and watched her at a distance, just watched, waiting for her to break to where she would let me in. Finally, she goes, well, aren't you going to do something? (laughs) I said, get out of the way. And she moved. And I got in there, 60 seconds, I had her whole world fixed, and it was smooth sailing from there. The problem was, she had some kind of thing in her, she wasn't ready to let it go. And it got worse, and it got worse. But I want you to take notice of the fact that I just sat there and watched her. 
She needed to get to her place where she would ask me, the guy with the answer. And it took her a long time to get there. Okay, Mark 6 and 45. It says, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he sent the multitude away. And when he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. Now, when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. Okay, he's not with them in the boat. They're out there by themselves, right? Now, as we go through the story, I want you to be observant to what I call biblical timestamps. Now, we've already been given a timestamp if you look at it. It's right there in verse 47. It says, When evening came, this means they got into the boat during the daytime. Mark uh, 6 48. Then he saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. Now, about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea and would have passed them by. (laughs) Wait a minute, he's going to pass us. But first off, what is the fourth watch of the night? Basically, the Bible divides uh, the watches of the night, or they're all set in three-hour interval intervals. The first watch is from 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. Then you have 9 to 12, then you have 12 to 3. So that makes the fourth watch is now 3 a.m. to 6 a.m., somewhere between 3 in the morning and 6 in the morning, okay? When did they put the boat in the water to take off? It was still daytime. It was evening, okay? So they were out there all night, and the sun was just about getting ready to rise. Now, it says Jesus saw them, and he saw them straining at rowing. He's watching them. But that means for the entire night, he watched them strain and didn't do anything about it. (laughs) Now, I've been to Galilee before, the Sea of Galilee. It's not very big. You can actually stand there and see cars on the other side. It's not that far apart. And to think that they strained all night and they couldn't cross that because the wind was against them. It was contrary to them. Now, John 6, 19 speaks of the same event, and it says that they had only rowed three or four miles. Guys, I want you to think of this for a minute. Because <laughs> when I stood there at the Galilee, I was looking, I remember going, they couldn't cross that <laughs> all night? They only went three or four miles, getting absolutely nowhere. I want you to consider the fact that some of these disciples in the boat, they were experienced fishermen. They had been raised around boats. This was their lifelong career. I'm a boat guy. I know what I'm doing. They had a lot of experience. They knew what they were doing, but the wind was against them, and they could not reach their goal. First off, who do you think put that wind against them in the first place? Hmm. Okay. So I want you to think about Jesus back on land. He watched them straining, straining, straining for hours and hours. You think your workout at the gym is tough on the little row machine. Try this for, I don't know, six, seven, eight, some odd hours. And he just watched them. He just sat there and watched them. I think we need to understand the situation here. Jesus is the one that put them in that situation because he's the one that told them to get in the boat. He put them in that spot. He knew full well they were out there struggling, and he had the power to stop the wind, which also means he put the wind against them. Now, this is not popular American teaching, is it? Oh, God would never put anything against me. God loves me. God wants everything to go the way I want it. That's called pride, and you need to get rid of that way of thinking fast. 
He put them in the boat. He put the wind against them. And on top of all this, Jesus let them struggle all night. Like I was watching that dispatch girl. I'm just, I'm just see how long she got, how much fight she has in her. He watched them all night. And it even gets better because when Jesus walked out to them, it literally says he was going straight to the boat. I got to get to him. Is that what it says? It says he would have gone by. You catching this? Have you ever been broke down on the highway and here comes a car and he just <laughs> passes you by and you're like, dude, really? Wait a minute. What is going on here? We have this, uh, I guess I call it the Superman mentality about Jesus that whenever we get into trouble, he's supposed to go, dun, 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 here I come to save the day. And he's going to just fly in and take care of us. Says he was going to go on by. Guys, I don't see a Superman Jesus here. He's just sitting back. He put him in the boat to then watch him strain at the oars against the wind that he had control over the whole time, and he watched him struggle all night long. And then when he walked out the sea, it says he would have passed him by. Guys, this story is absolutely intriguing to me. This draws me in because I want to know why. What are you doing? I hope you're getting interested in what's going, why, what's going on here. Let me show you from Mark now, 649. And when they saw him, walking on the sea. They supposed it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were troubled. But immediately he talked with them and said to them, be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. Then he went up into the boat to them, and the wind ceased. And they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled. Wow, guys. It says they were troubled, it says. I want you to think about what they'd just been through. They had just burned off every ounce of strength that they had. They had just burned off every bit of experience that they'd ever been taught. Their whole life had just been proved useless, and they still couldn't reach their goal. They probably felt like they were failures. I've made no progress at all. I've been working so hard, and I'm getting nowhere. You ever feel like that? And not only were they powerless, but now of all things, here comes a ghost to get me. <laughs> or so they thought. Everything is against me and I can't do anything about it. Nothing. Yes, you could say they were certainly troubled. I've been there. I know you have been there. There's not a person in this room you have not felt exactly like this completely out of my hands. Everything I've got, all my power, all my experience, everything that I know that tells me what to do is getting me nowhere. I've made no progress. I feel like a failure. They were troubled. And they had just come to the terrifying realization that their best is not good enough. Friends, I want to tell you, your best is not good enough. And I know that I'm the pastor that's supposed to pump you up, make you feel all Superman and all that, but I'm going to be the opposite. You're not good enough, and neither am I. None of us in this room are good enough. You know why? Because we all sinned and we blew the whole thing. We're not good enough. But friends, that's when we realize, when we realize we're not good enough, when the circumstances come in on us and all of our experience, all of our power, all of everything we know to do, we, when, we, when we find out that is not good enough, that's when we realize we need a Savior. There's a lot of people out there today, they don't realize they need a Savior yet. Because they still think like they're good enough. They still got a little fight in them. 
Got to get that fight burned out of you, man. You need a Savior. And so, here comes Savior Jesus. It is I. Don't be afraid. (laughs) I love it. Good timing. And the trouble that had been so fiercely against them, all the trouble that they had all night long, once they tuned into the Savior, all of a sudden that trouble was gone. Just like that. Guys, this is a picture of the gospel of Jesus right here. This is a picture for you. That's a great story, but something, something changed in this story here somewhere. What was the big change between verse 48 and 51? From the time when Jesus was going to just pass them by, they're tired, they're troubled, to the time when he got in the boat with them, there's something in the equation here that had to change somewhere. How did Jesus get in the boat if he was going to go past them? If he wasn't even going to go by them, how did he get to where he could get in the boat? Something had to change. Um, I'll tell you what changed. The disciples changed. They changed. They went from fear to listening. They went from, we got this, man, we got this, man, to, "Uh uh-oh, I don't think we've got this, man. Uh Uh-oh, man, we're in trouble, to listening. Have no fear, it is I. See the change they went through through this period? They went from straining at the oars to using those same oars to make a course correction, which means they turned the boat to where Jesus was. Jesus was not going to walk by them. They had to go to him. So I think there's a course correction in the boat somewhere. It doesn't say it, but when you put the the evidence together, the information, somebody had to change, and it wasn't Christ. Friends, we are the ones that have to change. We don't demand God change for us. We change for him. They turned that boat. And there's a word for this turn. It's a bad word. Okay, I'm going to say a bad word. Yes, your pastor here is about to say a bad word in church. And people hate this word. They don't like it. And when you say this word, it gets everybody all offended. It's the word. Repent means turn. Your way ain't good enough. You're just wearing yourself out. Repent. They had to make a course correction in the boat so that their path would intersect with Jesus because originally they were not headed in his direction at all. In other words, they had to stop doing things their way and start doing things Jesus' way. That's the change. Friend, I'm going to tell you, you've got to stop doing everything your way. It's going to get you nowhere. you got to change and do Jesus' way. Turning to the Lord was the pivotal point in which everything changed in this story, and that is when Jesus acted. Because all night, he just sat and watched them. I'll see when you're tired. Obviously, you're not tired yet. I'm just going to wait a little longer. It's like that dispatch girl. She wasn't ready. Okay, I'm just going to sit down and wait until you lose your mind, until you really discover your best is not good enough. That's the same picture here. And that's when Jesus finally acted after they said, Lord, they called out. Now, I want us to get a perspective here. Jesus had been available to them the whole time. He was always there. He wasn't far away. They knew that Jesus was well capable of performing miracles. They had just seen him turn a few fish and loaves and to feed thousands. They knew what the guy could do. He was watching. They should have known. All I got to do is call out. He'll take care of it. But they didn't. 
they went on their own power. Friend, I got to ask you, or whatever it is you're doing, are you doing it by your power? Well, no, I pray. Oh, okay, I'm sure you pray, but are you doing it on your power? That's what I'm asking. How about you pray and switch to doing it on his power? How about both of those? Don't pray, Lord, save me and keep rowing. How about, this is where we're getting nowhere. Let's call out to the Lord and let him in the boat. Get him in your boat. Get him in your life with you. They knew what he was capable of doing, yet all night long, they strained at the oars against the wind, hour after hour, wearing themselves out, trying to fix their own problems when they could have called upon the Lord at any time. And they didn't. Jesus was watching, but they never called out to him. Now, back to timestamps again, because there's a stealthy timestamp in verse 49 that you might have overlooked. It says that when the disciples cried out, then when? When did Jesus say, do not be afraid? Five hours from then, when they cried out, it says immediately, immediately, immediately. Friends, I want you to get a hold of this. We went from an all-night scenario to an immediate scenario, okay? What triggered the immediacy? They cried out. They cried out. Some of you are wearing yourselves out. You're upset. You're mad at the world. You're freaking out. You're losing your mind. You're tired. I don't have any more left. I've had enough. I can't do this anymore. But you ain't crying out to Jesus yet. Where are you in this story? That's what I'm asking you. Where are you at? Immediately, Jesus said, do not be afraid. So all night, as compared to immediately, which one do you want? Do you want to go another all night? And your all night could be, could be a figurative years. Or do you want right now? When you consider they strained at the oars all night long, but once they cried out to Jesus, then bam, whole problem is solved. It's over. I just, part of me, it just says, yay, Jesus, man, look at this. But there's another part of me that asks, why did he wait so long? Why did Jesus do nothing? When he could have. I'll tell you why. Because people are so used to running on their own power. And so the disciples had to be purged of their own strength. They had to be purged of, I know how to do this. That arrogant pride. I'm, I'm man. I can, I can row a boat. We'll get there. Just tighten up your buckles, guys. Let's go. They had to be purged of all that pride. They had to burn themselves out of their way so that they could switch to doing things Jesus' way. They had to be burned out of their way so they could finally understand that they needed a Savior. Friends, how many of you are going through a burnout? You've been through major, major difficulties in your life, and you're just mad at God. Either you're mad at God or you're not calling out to God. How come you're not doing something and it's just eating you alive and you're wondering why? What's the point in all this? Because I'll show you why. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9 says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Friends, God does his best work when we're at our most troubled. God does his best work when we're at our worst. It's like that dispatch girl that had such a death grip on doing it her way. She would not get out of that desk. She would not let me get in there. She would not let go. Even though I was close by with the answer, I had the answer in my hand. She wouldn't get up. So I sat back and I let her strain. 
I let her burn all the fight out of herself until she actually needed me to get her out of the mess that she could not fix. And friends, that's the same with us and God. God's strength is made perfect, not in your prideful power. God's strength is made perfect in your weakness. That's why we are to glory in tribulations, because God's going to do his best stuff. You know, when people come to me, somebody dies or, or something, and they have all those why questions that I don't know how to answer, this is the verse I give them. So I don't have all the answers right now, but I can tell you that God does his best stuff when we're at our weakest. God's strength is made perfect in weakness. That's why Jesus let them strain at the oars for so long. It took wind. It took time. It took all these elements to get them weak enough to realize that they were not good enough to finally say, we need a Savior. Friend, you need a Savior. All of us, especially me, we need a Savior. Think about Jesus dying on the cross. It took Jesus' death on the cross to save us. They, they didn't just catch up to him and kill him because they didn't like his teaching. That death on the cross was timed. See, you and I sinned. We broke God's law. God says, that's it. You're done. I have to fix what you broke, but we couldn't fix it. That's the problem. Jesus could. That's why he came and died for us in our place so that if you believe upon Jesus, then your penalty gets transferred over to him, and then he takes care of it for you. But I want you to think of the fact that Jesus' death, it took a death, it took a crucifixion. They beat him before the crucifixion. They insulted him before they beat him, and his whole life they hunted him down. How would you like to live that for 33 years? How would you like to live it for 33 minutes? Weakness. It took a crucifixion to save us, to bring up salvation to all men. And when the disciples strained at the oars all night, that was God perfecting his strength in their weakness. You know, when you go fill up a bucket with something and you find dirty water in it, you got to dump the old dirty stuff out first before you can put in what you want. So the Lord had to get, had to dump out their way before he could replace and refill them with his way, even if it took a whole night of strain to get it done. Your difficulties that you've been through was God's trying to purge something out of you that you wouldn't let go of. And I pray that you don't have to totally burn out. You could call upon Jesus any time. He's there. So I want you to look at Matthew 14, 22, because Matthew recorded a little bit more about what happened that night than what Mark wrote. Matthew 14, 22, and Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out saying, Lord, save me. And five hours later, when? Immediately, right? Immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Problem's over. Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Guys, if it took all that to get somebody to say this, don't you think it's worth it? Thank 
you for listening to Set for Life. We hope you can join us next time, unless Jesus returns for us first. Set for Life is the radio ministry of Pastor Ray Jensen. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast at setforliferadio.com. Hi, this is Ray Jensen. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to encourage you in God's Word. If the Bible doesn't excite you, then you're not reading it. I want you to remember that you are not worthless. You are priceless. Messiah Jesus died on the cross to redeem you so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life.